Welcome to Make Work Fun, the podcast exploring the fun side of the creator economy. We're the show all about business with a bit less of the business. I'm Ben Bradbury. Have you ever read a book or listened to a song, or maybe read a newsletter that just speaks to you? You hear the lyrics, you read the words, and you think, man, this person gets me. And suddenly, you feel less alone. Well, that's the moment that lights Nicole up. Nicole's joining me on the show today. She's one of our creators here at Workweek. And we get into why creating content can be such a powerful bridge to people, because it helps your audience realize that, man, I'm not the only person who's thinking this way. And that's how Nicole got started. She was sick and tired of fintech being represented by old white men. She tells this incredible story later on of exactly what that epiphany moment was for her. And now she's creating a space for women in fintech and underrepresented minority groups to be authentic, to be themselves. She threw an event recently and she said to everyone who attended, dress as yourself, don't turn it down, be your authentic self. And it's hard being vulnerable as well. And so that's why I'm constantly inspired by Nicole and how she has so much fun when she's working, creating a safe space for leaders to open up. Now, this episode isn't just inspiring, it's super tactical. We get into Nicole's process, we get into my process as a creator, and we talk about systems, tools, routines that you can use to produce more content and have a more mindful relationship with social media, because I bet you get a ton of notifications and they can very easily mess up your working routine. So we get into ways around that. And we get into that right at the start. So if that's what you want to jump into, make sure you listen at the start and then we get more inspiring and more story driven later on. So this is the first episode of Make Work Fun. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did recording it. And let us know what you think. You can reach me on Twitter at Ben Bradbury underscore and you can reach Nicole at Nicole Kasperson. We would both love to talk to you. Enjoy. Nicole, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Ben, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, this is really a show owned by the whole of Workweek. And so I think it's great that you're coming on as one of the first creators we signed. And now you're absolutely killing it. And we'll get to learn a little bit more about you and uh, how you're making magic here at uh, Workweek. Yes. Well, a lot of it has to do with Workweek and its help. So <laughs> happy to talk more about it. Well, why don't you just set the scene for everyone listening? Some people might not have heard of you. Can you give us like a brief background on who you are and what you're creating today? Sure. I recently learned more about myself. I have a heavy achiever strength, which generally means that I like to throw myself into a lot of different projects, but it also means that I have a heavy conviction to want to leave the world a better place than I found it. So when I'm working in B2B media, which I have for the last five years as a traditional reporter, I found a lot of issues along the way that I wanted to help solve. A lot of that had to do with the fact that there's not a lot of women in the financial services industry, or especially in leadership roles. And there's also not a lot of female representation in the reporting side or people of color. So when I'm the only woman, person of color, and a lot of the times the only person under the age of 40 in different newsrooms that creates a lot of disparity in the type of stories that are covered by these massive media companies. So it made a lot of sense for me to branch out, start something new and solve that problem through what the fintech. 
So you talked about your strengths there of being an achiever. And we had an offsite recently where everyone found out what their top five strengths were through this personality test. What's your work been like now that you know what your top strengths are? How that how has that affected how you show up as a creator? Well, it reminds me that it's super important to optimize your time and schedule for you and, and what makes sense for you. I think what's cool about working in a creator-centric company like Workweek, I get to manage my schedule and I get to make things fun and work for me in the best way possible, right? And my prior roles as a traditional reporter, everything was based on someone else's schedule, right? Deadlines happened at X time. And maybe that's not the best time that works for me. Or, you know, I'm hitting newsroom meetings at a certain time. So I love knowing my strengths because I can focus on those as opposed to thinking about my weaknesses. And I think when you work in an environment that is super centric to to you and is flexible enough to let you manage your own time, then you actually truly have the ability to right, optimize your schedule and make it suit you and, and your, your needs in the best way possible. And time is that ultimate resource for all of us, but for creators especially, where you have to block out these long blocks of time, either to write a newsletter or to record a podcast or to write a tweet thread, it's really important that you're able to do that in an uninterrupted way. I also reckon it's probably just more fun now that you know you are an achiever and you're driven by accomplishing things so you can set yourself very tangible milestones i mean i have seen nicole's calendar guys it is a minefield there is like not one clear block on that calendar most weeks and that's because you structure your days so effectively of saying hey i'm going to be doing this this and this which i can imagine plays to your strengths and then makes the work more fun in the end it definitely comes with its its challenges because you have to be very like almost religious, right, with with that calendar. And that's how it's just worked for me. So if every single bit of my day is dedicated to something, then I can follow that. And that relieves a lot of stress and anxiety. So then I'm having fun. But to have fun, you also need to have a lot of blocked off times for yourself to actually create. That's been like a key, because I didn't do that before. I was just like, oh, here's my calendar. I would send my Calendly to people. And if you do that, then all of those free slots will just get booked with meetings. So what I did is I picked like certain hours of certain days that made the most sense. And they're just like completely blocked off, like two, three hours newsletter, like two, three hours newsletter research. So I have these moments of like silence where I'm not bothered or no one can book a, a meeting with me so that I can actually like hone in on on actually creating yeah it's like if you if you want to talk to me you can but join the queue and i'll get to you in two hours over slack once i've done what's important <laughs> to me because taking time for yourself is i would say one of the biggest pieces of enjoying work if you're constantly in conversation with someone else and someone else on someone else's to-do list all the time you're never going to get done what you actually need to do. So I do find it's a balance of being social, being in meetings, brainstorming and contributing with the team, but then also saying, okay, guys, I need some me time for two or three hours and I'll see you when I'm back. For me, my, my me time also has been happening a lot more in the mornings. I'm a morning person and it's super quiet then, but I don't know. Are there any tricks to like having 
more of that that me time in the middle of a day when things are so chaotic and happening and people want to slack you and and this or that because sometimes that can be a struggle too because even if I block off my calendar it doesn't mean oh I want to look at Twitter and see what's popping off yeah yeah totally well I think about it where my monitor is like my digital office so the desk is if I'm working from home my desk is my physical office, but then the monitor is my digital office. And so if people want to interact with me, they have to come in through the screen in some form. So that's either going to be visual, I'm going to see a pop-up, or I'm going to have a noise as well that comes in. Or I might just get an impulse and say, oh, I'm going to check Twitter. And then I go back on it because uh, I'm in that loop. So the way I think about it is I make it harder for people to get to me and also harder for me to act on those impulses. Oh. So the two things I use are a tool called Focus, which is heyfocus.com. It lives in a browser extension in your Mac and you can select which websites it wants to block. And then when you click, I'm going to enter a focus session. For me, I work in Pomodoro's, which is a 25 minute block of time followed by a five minute break. So you work in these short sprints. So I'll say focus for 25 minutes. And then for that 25 minutes, even if, if I go to twitter.com, it will block it and replace it with a motivational quote to just give me a little nudge. So I block Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, all of those just go. Email as well, I can't touch them. The other thing which I'll do is put Slack in Do Not Disturb. Dirty little secret, my Slack is usually in Do Not Disturb mode. I kind of hate the noise that comes in just because every time I hear it, I'm like, oh man, someone wants something and it just like, it lurches me out of, of whatever I'm doing. So if you put it on do not disturb, the notifications will still be there, but I can check them when I want to check them rather than when someone else is pinging me, basically. See, those are genius because like I said, if you can do all the calendar optimizing you want as a creator, but if you can't check yourself and maybe use certain tools to do that, because at the end of the day, it all goes back to like, behavioral science, right? Like what makes sense for you? And thinking back at like, how cool is it to actually work in an, at an organization where that's allowed? I probably still have like PTSD if I were to hear like a Microsoft Teams ping, because that's like <laughs> what I used to have to hear. Just so and ingrained I, in I would, your brain. I remember like, <laughs> oh my God, I remember working from home at my last job, but like I was a traditional reporter. Like if my editor called, like I answered, no no questions asked. Or like he wanted a story written, I did it, whether it was 6 p.m. or 6 a.m., you know? And so I would take like naps in the middle of the day and I would like have my Microsoft Teams on like right next to me. Cause- Oh man. Yeah, I had to, I had to answer to it. So it's cool to be at a place where that is not, that is not happening to Ooh, me anymore. Yeah. No more PTSD. That reminds me. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this this week, but there's a Twitch streamer who's making over 30 grand a month allowing streamers to interrupt his sleep with donations. And so he just like streams and he'll be in bed and then people will be able to donate a certain amount of money and will play different sounds to wake him up. I'm like, my man, fair play to you for making like a healthy six figures on Twitch. That is a, a mean feat. But also your sleep is just getting rolled every single night. Must just be like, when I have less than four hours sleep, I know about it. I feel like a stupid <laughs> version of Ben. And so if he's doing that, like we can work out. I'm like, this guy must be getting knackered. Oof. I mean, sleep is important. People like to joke. My entire career, people have joked with me that I don't sleep, 
which is so funny because my partner will and myself will tell you that I definitely do. I'm a sleepy girl. <laughs> I love it. And you know what that reminds me of, though, is like the other side of kind of optimizing your time is also the is the ability to say no. My achiever strength does not lend myself to that ability as much. Um, so, uh, but that's something I'm working on. This is something I'm working on is like mm. saying saying no to things. I don't. Maybe I don't need to go to every happy hour. And then for the events that you do show up, you're a much better version of yourself. I think you can even dial that in at a micro level to social media, where as a creator. Odds are, my philosophy with this is you want to pick a golden channel. You want to have one channel that you're building on. So you're crushing it on Twitter, for example. You're always there. But if you were to then try and do the same thing on LinkedIn and TikTok and a Facebook group, suddenly your attention is so split. And so I pick one channel. And then I think the really other important piece of it is to use social media with intention. That's my favorite word when I go onto social media because... I mean, they are literally engineered. They have hundreds of very, very smart people getting paid boatloads of cash to get you to click the next tweet, to get you to watch the next yeah. TikTok. That's the yeah. whole damn point. And so almost mentally preparing yourself as a creator before you go onto the battlefield of, okay, I'm not going to get stuck in this dopamine loop for 10 minutes. I'm here to look at this specific person's tweet or reply to this person or post this or engage here. I find that that lets you have a much healthier relationship with social media over the long run. If you're intentional, right, about it and almost anything that you do, then you can actually really find a lot more healthy relationships with a lot of things, right? And work is one of those things. And especially social media, though. Although I will say, I, I know I've, been, I've, I've got a lot of focus on Twitter, but I am excited to maybe expand a little because I'm pretty obsessed with like Ooh. the video element of like reels and, mm -hmm. and and TikTok. So I'm actively thinking about when I have more bandwidth, how do I intentionally incorporate those things? Because I feel like I feel like my podcast has a lot of gems that people would love. And there's so much content out there and there's so many people watching. Like people are bound to find either my stuff or, you know, they're just bound to kind of find it and, and either resonate with it or not. And I don't know, find, maybe I'll find a little community there too. So you've got your podcast, Humans of Fintech, for people who don't know. You also have your newsletter, which goes out twice a week. And so video is this not now next channel that you're experimenting with. What is it about video that's appealing to you? Why, why is that the medium that you want to go and play with? A video has been interesting to me. I've had these like epiphanies where one, I feel like, TikTok and Instagram reels are like the new TV for me. So I literally lay in bed with my partner and we like watch TikToks or reels and it's better than TV because one, I don't get ads. And if I do get an ad, it's masked as like something cool. And if I don't like it, I just move right on. And it's like faster and it's shorter. And a lot of the stuff on there is so informational. And, you know, like we said before, if you can play the algorithm yourself, if you don't want to see things that are toxic to you, then don't watch them. And if you if you have that kind of control, right? And I kind of do. So I can trick the algorithm into showing me, like right now I got a lot of cat videos because it knows I like cats. And I got a lot of like fashion stuff because it knows I'm interested in that or like interesting like to-dos of things I would have never known how to do. And so you can play the algorithm 
But I, I think that videos like on, on in these short forms of TikTok and, and, and Instagram are like are just the new way of consuming in a TV like manner because no one really has cable anymore, except for my parents. Those are the only people I know that have cable. Um, so, right. And maybe I'm getting influenced because we have uh, Gen Z uh, colleagues right now or we have new colleagues that are that are Gen Zers and they're like, Nicole. You're, they like listen to my podcast or like watch my podcast and they're like, you would crush it on Instagram. <laughs> You'd crush it on TikTok. And I'm like, really? Mm. So why not try it out? The Gen Zs yeah. are telling me. <laughs> right. If Gen Z is telling you to go on TikTok, you better be on TikTok. That's uh, missing, missing, that's missing cool. opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's cool about that as well is that you still have the same kind of consumption as perhaps older generations, like the same levels, maybe a bit more, but you just have way more choice and control. And that's one of the inevitable trends that you see media going towards is that consumers always opt for technology that gives them more choice and more control. And so compared to linear TV, which your parents are watching, where you go on I don't know any of the American channels. Let's just say HBO. HBO has like a pre-programmed listing of shows. So at 9 p.m., Game of Thrones is going to come on, for example. You don't have any control over that. If you then go to Netflix or Apple TV, you have that whole range. And then take it a step further, go to your phone. You have all this content on TikTok and Instagram. So you're having like the same activity as being filled, but the content is just way more personal to you. So it's just a way better experience. And there's so many people on these platforms that like, it's fun for me to see like friends or people that I know have like a video that they would have never expected of them just doing something or sharing something and it like get thousands or millions of views. And then they're just like, whoa. And, and I think that there's, um, unfortunately, and I think I was like this before I really f was fully in, in the creator world, but there's this kind of negative connotation that like building a following on social media just means like you're chasing clout or like fame or something like that. And fame is never something I'm interested in. It's like, it's reach, it's community, it's influencing in a more informational way. And once I could wrap my head around that, now I'm like, okay, let's get the social media strategy going. Like I'm like ready, I wanna, I wanna do it because I come to realize that through being myself on social media, I actually could have a much larger reach than if you would have asked Nicole, like, you know, old traditional finance reporter, Nicole, what I wanted to do two years ago or whatever, to have that level of reach, I would have said, oh, I have to work at XX publication. And that's not the case anymore. So tell us a bit about this mindset shift, because it seems like before you were seeing social media as this very status-based game. And that is what a lot of social media is. If I look at my Instagram feed, it's a lot of social signaling to people saying, I have this, or I'm this wealthy, or I'm in this place, so you should think this of me. And I think that's kind of the, the toxic side of it. But then you're also talking about this other use where you can find people you connect with, bring them together, as a community and because the community grows you grow with them so what was that mindset shift like for you going from seeing social media as a status-based game to one that's more community and impact driven i mean i think it goes along with my same mind shift of being 
you know, oh, being a journalist means that, you know, you're objective, unbiased, don't share your voice or opinions or whatever, right? It's all about the brand. It's all about what the brand believes and and that's what you do. And I think there's like an odd tie into that because if I'm of the belief that, oh, it's more important for like a publication I work for social to grow as opposed to my own personal or like something I believe in, then why would I care about social media? Yeah, of course I'm going to think that the people that are being individually themselves and a brand on social are more like clout chasers. I'm so happy that I don't think that like that anymore because once you kind of shift into the world of creator, it's one of those things where you kind of have to realize that it isn't just like a money game either. And I think that like there's these unfortunate like biases of of social media and like you know the word influencer isn't exactly like doesn't exactly have like the nicest ring to it these days it it comes with a lot of like so um, true yeah negative connotations so like it's almost like my shift in mindset of like social media is actually a place where you can build community and, and have a greater impact on what you're building and and all of these good things about it which of course the bad things are there but you can you can build and grow with with the good things if you're intentional about it. So I think that mind shift happened along with my change, my mind shift of journalism and content creation and the industry and realizing that at the end of the day, like we can all pretend like we're objective, unbiased creatures when we storytell, but we're not. We're, <laughs> we're humans with personalities and beliefs and values. Everything that we believe in stems into what we create. So... I think that is what helped change my mind was understanding the shift in media and journalism. I heard something on a podcast yesterday where they said sometimes you have to put all of your emotion into the art so that you can let go of it or even in some cases so you can stop feeling it so intensely. And it seems to me the really great creators are people who are putting a piece of themselves into the work they're doing. So when I look at your brand, there's this real connection between the unrest, if you like, that you feel between an industry that is really poorly represented with some groups and the work you're doing to help fight for that representation with your newsletter, the people that you talk about on your podcast. And women are getting galvanized by this. Like you had an event at the Roxy Hotel, which called Fintech is Femme, which brought people together for that. And when I saw the pictures from that, that made me think there's a piece of Nicole that's gone into that event. And so every creator is building a media company. Eventually your podcast is part of your media brand, your newsletter, whatever that is. And the real through line that runs through success there is authenticity. That should be, the media company should be a reflection of you in some way. Absolutely. And that took me a minute to get there. When I first started, and because I'm doing a lot of unlearning, a lot of creators, I feel, and I want to see like more traditional journalists like jump into creator world, like let's all be Kara Swishers. Mm. Um, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I wish we saw more of that. But anyways, so it can take a long time. Or if you have the right people around you, uh, like I fortunately did, that were like, no, we want to hear your opinion or no, we want to hear your voice. Like, do you know how much unlearning that was for me? I had like five straight years of people telling me to like, please stop using your voice in your writing. We don't want to hear that. If you want to try to say something, go and get wow. a source to say it. And then you can attribute their, that thought to them. And it's like, whew, okay. 
And, you know, those wow. are those old rules and the whatever, whatever. So that was five years of me doing that. So, of course, it took me a minute. I mean, I think I did pretty good. It's been, what, like seven, seven months? I think, I think, I, think I, I didn't take too long. But um, it does take a second to be like, oh, wow, I'm allowed to do this. Like, I'm allowed to share my opinion and, and share my voice. And then at first when you start, it's very scary because it's like, for me, the big risk was like, will anyone care about Nicole Kasperson if a big media brand isn't attached to her byline? The answer is yes. <laughs> and I yes, think that alert, answer can be yes. Do. I know for so many creators. I mean, now, right now I have a newsletter that is getting more eyes on it. My work is getting more eyes on it than ever, than any publication I've ever worked for. So that's really amazing, but it does mean you have to be so authentic and vulnerable and that's hard for people my guests on my podcast have a moment to do that and i think that's what makes the podcast so special and fintech is femme is that i i created a safe space for these leaders in fintech people that you know like people that you see on podcasts all the time people that you see on stages at conferences um, working at some of the biggest fintech companies in the in the world and they're like mm -hmm. joining my podcast or my event and they're like going up there and saying, hi, I've never had a platform to talk about myself before. And it's like, wow. or like share my opinion before or share my story. Cause they're like just used to going on these shows where all they talk about is the company and the mm. product roadmap and what FinTech trends are next. So anyways, yeah, that's, right. that authenticity, I guess is what I'm trying to say, gets into your, 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 um, your guests and your content in the industry, right? Yeah, and I think there's a really valuable lesson in there for creators as well, is that I'm just going to look at this through a podcast lens because I'm an audio guy, but most podcasts, if you think about the people that you've interviewed as a creator, they ask them the same questions. Tell us about yourself. Tell us what you do. What does the company do? Why is it special? What's coming around the corner? And it's just <laughs> really cookie cutter a lot of the time. And so what I love about what you've done is you just say, let's actually take a step back and focus on you. I don't want to hear about the company. I want to hear your personal story. I want to hear the struggles that you went through. And that's the really human element that you get to shine through with a podcast. And so I would challenge creators listening. If you are thinking about starting a show or you want to do something that's an interview style, bring a different lens to it. Think about what problems you personally face with your industry, what you want to solve and then start talking about it. Like we have a creator called Brandon who is starting a show called Business by Design. He's a designer and his problem is he thinks that so many people think that design is just about making things look pretty. He says, no way, design and business are two sides of the same coin. You should be designing the business at the same time as you are designing the product and everything else. And so the show that we're gonna be dropping soon is an extrapolation of his thesis. He's putting a part of himself into the world. And that's why I think it's going to do well. I don't think it's a coincidence that, especially as a kid, right, as like a young biracial woman that spent part of her life growing up in the South, I don't think it's that weird that I decided in my adulthood to like create a brand and a community that gives a platform for people that don't typically get to share their voice 
because I've been chasing a life where I want someone to let me use mine. I don't, that's like not a coincidence. Like that very much like happened, whether I realized it, you know, as it was happening or not, I realize it now. So yeah, all of those things that happen to you, you know, they trickle into work and they trickle into the, the things that you create and they can be very inspiring, but you do have to actually take the time to like reflect and that's something that I do a lot. That to me is like a secret sauce. I actually take a ton of time to like reflect on what's happened in my life <laughs> and to me. Talk to us more about the secret sauce. What does your reflection look like and why is that important to you? I mean, a lot of it is education around and reading. I read, I read a lot. I read from people that inspire me, Gloria Steinem, or even fiction like novels that uh, Amy Tan writes but are relatable to me. When you read, you learn and you uncover things that you've always felt but maybe weren't able to say. I think that's the beautiful part about music and artists in that regard. And that's actually why I, I it's funny because I'm I've always loved those industries. You know, I've always related myself to like artists and, and musicians. And even though I play like four chords on on the guitar and sometimes pretend like I can drum. But, you know, being a creator is not that much different. <laughs> is not, being a creator is not that much different, right? We're, we're just putting our thoughts out there and making other people think, oh, wow, they said it. Like, that's what I've been feeling. And someone put it into words. And that makes me feel less alone. And that actually is one of my the moments that make me feel the most successful is like, sure, do like 30,000 subscribers make me happy? Yes. But like, what really makes me happy is when someone reaches out to me and tells me that like, the content that I'm writing makes them feel like they're not the only person thinking it, or like they're not the only person that feels that way. You know, and that's what a musician does, right? You listen to a song that resonates with you and you're like, wow, this totally. artist really put into words what I've been feeling. And so, and creators are doing that just for like, business media which is like wild and crazy but how good is it for the for the world so i would say like really reflecting i and that happens with like art music i like to go to museums and learn i like to learn about history Ooh, you're speaking to a history major right here what's your uh, what's <laughs> oh, your favorite museum don't ask me any questions oh okay okay so um oh man it's like really hard to pick but in New York, my favorite museum, and I haven't been to all of them, but my favorite museum is the Guggenheim, mostly because of its mm. structure, not just because it looks cool, but I love the design. It's so easy to navigate and it makes the experience so nice. So you can digest everything where like if you go to the Met, it's like I'm overwhelmed and then you don't it's see everything and then you have to go yeah. back. Yeah, so which is, is beautiful too. But anyway, so that's why I like the Guggenheim. I like the simplicity of it, but there's still you're still getting so much. And it's nice to feel like you completed it. Like, I love that I felt like I saw the whole museum. I would say the same thing about the Musée d'Arcet in Paris. And so I prefer it to the Louvre because the Musée d'Arcet gets, so you get to like actually see the whole thing and it's easier, right? You're just, it's like a straight shot with like a cool ceiling and the clock, anyway. That's, I don't have to go deep into my, my museum love. <laughs> it's a museum but the Guggenheim exhibit, the, yeah. The last time I went to the Guggenheim, though, was the, was actually a massive epiphany that I had. They had an exhibit there called Off the Record, and it was all about okay. 
you know, it was, it was challenging the ideology that journalism is objective. And it was like, right when I was trying to decide if I would sign with Workweek. And I went and I saw this exhibit and I was like, the answer, like, I was like, I'm going to wow. Workweek. Yeah. What was it about that exhibition then that gave you that insight? What, what did the kind of epiphany look like in a bit more detail? It was an exhibit that showed from a period from like the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And it took a newspaper publication and put every front cover of, for, for a whole month on the wall. But it took out the words and only left the images. And when you only saw the images and the titles and the headlines, you saw a lot of images of the same people. You saw a lot of white men, a lot of like just politicians, and then you saw a lot of war. And then the other images you saw were like black people being mistreated, women being mistreated. Mm. And when you just see the imagery on these front covers and no words, you're just like, <sighs> and wow. that's, yeah, it, it really like takes you back. And I was just like, like, how can me, Nicole, do something to make this better? Like, because if you were to kind of take the ones of today, I wouldn't be surprised. I, that wasn't a part of the exhibit, but I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't that different um, all these years later. So that was the main aspect of the exhibit that that got to me. And it was the the notion of newspapers and, and media and, and traditional media likes to say that, you know, they're objective and biased and they're just sharing what's happening in the world. But at the end of the day, like to say that actually really discounts the influence that media has. And media is so much more than just telling the truth of what's happening. It's so much, it's, it's actually completely influencing the narrative and telling the world what matters and what's important. What a story. Thank you for sharing. Also, just yeah. thinking about kind of the power of visuals there for creators, because our brains process images 60,000 times faster than words. And there's that saying, a picture speaks a thousand words. And that's exactly why. Because if you you see something and it just it just hits you on that visceral level, it can really leave an impression. So I know you do a great job of incorporating visuals into your newsletter. That's definitely something I'd think about if someone is more of a written creator or a podcaster. Like, how can you incorporate visuals into your content as well? Because, yeah, you're able to, to reach people on different level. Nicole, I want to switch tack just to end and hear a little bit about how you have fun when you work, because I'm sure we've touched on a lot of stuff that you enjoy. But what I'm really curious about is like the moments where you are just lit up at your job, like the moments where you just think, man, I, I would pay to do this. I'm having so much fun. What do those moments look like for you? I got to give it to the events. IRL events are definitely it. I remember when we were first putting together the event and I was kind of like, I don't know, I'm not sure about this. And I'm so happy that we pushed. I'm so happy that it happened. Fintech is Femme was the most magical evening. You you have no idea when you put on an event like that. It was what, like 130 tickets sold out at a, especially at a venue like the Roxy in Tribeca in New York. It's like such an iconic venue. I had all the things, right? All the anxieties of like, what if no one shows up? Like, you know, like putting on a party and like no one comes is like the scariest thing, right? But anyway, so that that was a massive moment of, of fun and success. And what was really cool about that, 
I have to hand it to like the work week team because I got to show up to my event. I had done a lot of like the content work ahead of time, right? I worked with the speakers on the stories sure. that they were going to share and whatever. But then when I got to the hotel, all I had to do was like show up because, you know, our events team handled all of the setting up. And then, you know, our, our head of creator development handled making sure everyone was there. And then we had volunteers, like people volunteered to work my event and like, and people were so happy to be there and so happy to be involved. And like, you put on a successful event and it really makes you like, oh, this thing's real. Like people really want this. And like sitting in the middle of a beautiful hotel, like the Roxy with like a table filled with these women in FinTech that are just such game changers, i.e. the speakers. We were like eating French fries and having champagne before the event. And it was like, I've always dreamed of those <laughs> moments. I've always wanted to, like, it, that seems like weird, but like I've wanted to have these moments where I get to just sit at a table. <laughs> I have dreamed of French fries and, and champagne. French fries and champagne <laughs> moments. It's not that weird of a dream, but like, it was just so cool. And like, and we were, and we were dressed like, and it was such a safe space. Like we all felt you know, I was I was dressed in a way that I never thought I could dress at a work event. And I told my community and I told my speakers to show up. I want you to dress your most authentic self. And they showed up like they were fly. They were wearing all the things like the jewelry, the hair, oh, like and sick. it was so beautiful because because think about it. Women are usually used to going to these financy conferences and events and toning themselves down so that they don't get judged mm. on their looks or oh i need to and i've felt this so much T tone down how i look so that people listen to what i have to say so they don't think i'm oh i'm just playing off my looks or i'm not smart enough because i've decided to dress a certain way you know that's that's pretty common judgment for women so to have a place where like you know you can wear that like silk orange suit with the feathers you know which one of my <laughs> one of my guests actually wore yeah, it, it that's rare. So creating safe spaces for people to be authentically themselves really helps me. It makes me feel major success. That's awesome. What a story. I love how you told your community to show up authentically as well. Often it, we just need like a little bit of a nudge from someone else to say, go and be your full self and great things can happen. If there's someone who's listening who has got all the way to the end. First of all, thank you for listening to episode one. But if someone is listening to this, Nicole, and they are looking to maybe launch something new as a creator, they're taking their first steps, or maybe they're looking to kind of get to that next level with growth, what advice would you give them? If you're going to leave a creator with one thing to noodle on, what are you going to share? Whatever is important to you, I don't think you need to sacrifice any of your values to create a brand that makes you feel the most authentically you and valued. I had this reflection the other day where at my last job, I had an editor tell me, well, Nicole, you either need to focus on just covering fintech or you need to focus on just covering women and diversity. And I was like, but I want to do both. And that's actually a, a moment too, like a piece of a moment where I was like, I should create my own thing. So there's so many niches out there. And guess what? The, I, the thing is, is that you can literally create one that is so based on you. So if you think, oh, well, this or that in my values, in my what I like to do or what I'm passionate about, don't mix. I bet you, you can find a way to make them mix. 
and find an audience that feels the same way. Uh, people think that they're not like unique, but everyone is unique. Not everyone's special, but everyone's unique, you know? So, <laughs> mm. um, you know, and if you're uniquely yourself, then you're going to find your tribe or the community that follows that. And I don't think I would have found mine if I, if I hadn't, if I listened to that editor that said, you need to pick one. Don't sacrifice any of the things that you love. Yeah, I love that. Such a good note to end on. Your vibe attracts your tribe. And if you're putting out an authentic vibe, yeah. you're going to get authentic people back. So snaps for that. I love it. Nicole, if people yeah. want to keep up with you, they want to check out your content. They're curious about what you do. Where can they listen to you? Where can they find you online? I'm mostly on Twitter, but I want to change that. So, but my handle is at Nicole Casperson across all social medias, Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok, which I'm wanting to be more on. Uh, and to sign up for the newsletter or the podcast, you can just go to workweek.com, find my little floating head, click on that and plug in your email. And then we'll be friends forever, basically. Friends forever. You heard it here first. All right, team. Thanks so much for listening. And Nicole, thanks for joining us. This is a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in. Keep the fun coming by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? It really helps us spread our message. We'll see you next time.